0: How are deals pricing right now, Fannie and Freddie, small? And I know it's a range, but I mean, you could mm-hmm. just throw a range at it. But what does pricing look like these days? Yeah, for, for small balance
1: deals, ballpark mid threes for most of the stuff that we're, we're pricing out. I mean, for deals above $6 million, you have the opportunity to go through the DUST program or through the Freddie conventional program where really strong deals might see pricing and even the high twos, which is how about, pretty crazy. How about that
0: FHA 223F debt? How about that? <laughs> How's that
1: mid pricing? Two, mid twos, Crazy. mid twos, low twos on, on larger deals.
0: Yeah. Crazy, wild. I find that unbelievable. This is Blake Janover with Janover Ventures and the Multifamily Minute. Hi. So I've never, like, I'm not going to interview you because I've never interviewed anyone before, right? I just thought it would be cool to have, like, a, like a conversation just for our 40,000 multifamily email newsletter subscribers for the Multifamily Minute. So I think at this point, you know more about Fannie Small than I do. So why don't you introduce yourself real quick?
1: My name is Brandon Romney. I am the Capital Markets Director here at Janover Ventures.
0: So what I was thinking is, during these times of COVID, you could walk me through kind of qualifying for a Fannie small loan or 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 a small agency loan, right? Like, a, like an agency loan between a million and five million and the differences between Fannie and Freddie. Can you run me through that real quick? Like I'm a total noob because I kind of am.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the requirements as far as personal and, and property requirements that we've been seeing haven't really changed much with, throughout COVID. The main things that come to mind, personal net worth has to be at least equivalent to the loan amount, and that's cumulative among all the investors on the deal or the key principles on the deal. Liquidity, typically they want to see at least nine to 12 months of p payments. On top of that, which we'll get into a little bit more detail later, they're requiring COVID reserves, which is kind of something that was implemented back in in March and April. Third thing would be experience. If you don't have experience, it's not a deal killer, but they would require that someone on the loan that has uh, majority ownership of at least 25% is local to the property. In addition to having professional management company in place, probably one that has experience in this market and someone that manages other properties of this size.
0: When you say experience, do you mean experience owning multifamily property or experience with agency?
1: experience with multifamily and multifamily being a property of at least 5 plus units.
0: So agency experience isn't required to get an agency loan, right? Not at all. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. A lot of people think that it is. So I just wanted to yeah, throw it out no, there. No, Can,
1: no agency experience required. A lot of the majority of the, the borrowers we work with are are first-time agency borrowers, first-time multifamily borrowers too, so The last thing would probably be credit score, which I mean is is commonly overlooked, but they want to see at least uh, a 680 plus credit score, obviously with no recent bankruptcies or outstanding tax liens or or things like that.
0: How about uh, basic like property level requirements?
1: So typically occupancy is a big one. Fannie, Freddie, there's a little bit of fluctuation in it, but Fannie wants to see at least 90% physical occupancy and 85% economic occupancy. Freddie will go down to 85% physical and 85% economic on a, on a case-to-case basis, typically uh, like a top market like uh, San Francisco, Miami, Dallas, just top markets like that. Or if there's a smaller unit property, that's, let's say, 15 units, where if you have one or two vacancies where you're going to fall below that 90% threshold pretty easily. So they're willing to, to budge on that a little bit.
0: What if you got 15 units? And there's two units that aren't occupied because you're in the middle of renovating them. So they're, they're down units because you're, you're, you're doing some rehab work. Does that count against it, you Jen?
1: It depends. So it's, it's really a case-to-case basis. So if they look at the units and they've been down for an extended period of time, they're going to want to know more details on why those units were down, why you haven't brought them back online yet. Um, and then kind of what the the reasoning is for that. I would think that for a purchase, it's a little bit more flexible because obviously bringing a down unit online is out of your control. But if you have a refinance and there's been a property that has a few down units, I think the main question that's coming comes into play is, is why haven't you brought those units back online yet? Is it a funds issue? Are you just lazy?
0: What's What's kind of the main reason for that? Laziness, it's definitely laziness. <laughs> Netflix has interrupted productivity in multifamily owners. Okay. So like, what are the big differences between Fannie small and Freddie small? I might push it further and say, like, what are some of the, you might not want to talk about this, but what are some of the products inside Freddie? You know, one lender could be a Freddie SBL lender or or Optigo, right? Optigo small. And then there's another kind of, what was it? It was a tax advantage tax, something or other. There's an affordability program. Uh, that Freddie mm-hmm. had separately. Target, remember, some,
1: Targeted affordable. Yeah,
0: Targeted affordable. I remember when it first came out, Sabal was like the only shop that had it. I don't know if other people have it now, but I, I think it's interesting to talk about the difference between Fannie and Freddie and maybe some of the the products that exist within there, within those ecosystems as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Fannie, Freddie, they both have pretty similar programs. So they're both going to have the student housing dedicated program. They're both going to have the the senior living program. They're both going to have that that affordable program. The Fannie Mae equivalent to the targeted affordable would be the MAH program, which is the multifamily affordable housing program, which we actually just closed a loan on recently. So, I mean, the main difference is pros and cons. Market comes into play quite a bit. Freddie Mac will always focus on on top and standard markets. That's not to say they can't do smaller market deals, but I mean, typically top and standard market deals will price more aggressively, offer more I.O., uh, lower DSCR coverage ratios.
0: The top and uh, so. standard market.
1: So there's just the, the larger MSAs across the country. There's four different sub-markets. So there's top, standard, small, and very small. So what are the top what and are the standard top
0: markets? Like what are the markets, like the big top markets?
1: I mean, out in California, you get like a lot of Los Angeles, uh, Hayward, San Francisco. Those are some common ones. Washington, Seattle, New York, New York City, Miami.
0: And I don't know if you said this or if I'm or if I'm finishing your thought, but but Freddie is more aggressive in top markets. Is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Freddie is always gonna offer lower spreads in larger markets.
0: It feels a little crazy for that to be the case now when the largest mm-hmm. markets are the ones that are getting hammered the worst for like for rental rates declining and uh moratoriums and it just feels like places like new york la and san francisco are getting hammered the hardest and those are the places that Freddie is still the most aggressive
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean historically the differences in pricing between like a very small market deal and a top market deal was was probably a lot more more recently i think if you even price a deal with Freddie mac even though it's in a small market or very small market the, the pricing is still very competitive so I mean, the difference is not as big as it used to be, but I mean, yeah, they're always just going to prefer pricing out deals in, in larger markets. Fortunately enough, I mean, the, the deals that we have looked at in, in larger markets haven't been too affected with with occupancy or cash flow. So,
0: right. But Freddie and Fanny, besides besides pricing differences, they have there's other stuff, right? Like, walk us through some of that.
1: Yeah. So I mean, the, the main differences with the markets, like I said, are going to be the DSCR. Numbers they're looking for top markets can go down to 1.2, whereas like a very small market might require like a 1.4 DSCR limitations on I.O. Top markets can go up to three or more years of I.O. where I mean small markets can only get maybe one or two. I mean, those are the those are the main differences.
0: Oh, I think you're missing a couple. Between Fanny, <laughs> yeah. Between Fannie and Freddie, how about term? And prepayment Oh, properties.
1: I think they're just referring to the market. Yeah. No, those, yeah, there's definitely more differences. That's for sure. I didn't ask <laughs> the
0: question while I'm sorry. No worries.
1: Yeah. Fannie will lock the rated commitment letter, which is probably one of the bigger differences as well, which is typically two to three days prior to closing. Freddie Mac will lock the rated application. So, I mean, both have their pros and cons. I mean, if rates are aggressive at the time of us sending out an application, you might want to lock that rate in so you don't have to worry about any any fluctuation during the underwriting process. But it works both ways. The rates could go up, rates could go down. So it's kind of just uh, a guessing game. Terms, Fannie will always offer longer fixed periods, so they can go up to 30 years fixed, which, I mean, is an attractive option if you're the kind of person that just wants to put debt in place and not have to worry about it forever. And Freddie Mac's going to focus on shorter terms. So they also have fixed and hybrid options where hybrid is basically where it's fixed for the initial period and then adjustable up until a 20 year term. So it kind of just provides a little bit of extra flexibility to maybe refinance the property or sell it rather than having that, that hard five, seven or, or 10 year cutoff.
0: And what about um, uh, some of those prepay, like the prepayment penalty differences between Fannie and Freddie mm-hmm. and, and, and so on?
1: Yeah, so I mean Fannie, the standard prepay, With both Fannie and Freddie, we're going to have standard prepays of yield maintenance or step-down. The difference to do a a yield maintenance and a step-down prepay with Fannie is is a lot more substantial. It could be anywhere between 40 to 50 basis points where it might not make sense to go that route. Freddie Mac is going to be a little less aggressive when it comes to softer prepays. So they have the standard step-down, which like on a five-year might be 5% in the first year, 4%, 3%, et cetera. And then they also have soft step downs where it might be 3% the first year, 3% the second year, and it steps down to two and then one. And then even in some top markets on on shorter terms, like a five-year, we have the opportunity to do like a 3%, 1%, and then zero after that. So if you're looking for a short-term loan and you're okay with a a slightly higher interest rate, you're going to have no prepay after year three. So that's a, a good option if you're looking to maybe flip a property pretty quickly.
0: Cool. If all the choices were the same for you, uh, and you were borrowing money and, and, and the terms and the rates and everything was, was comparable, would you personally close a loan with Fannie or Freddie for yourself for a small balance loan?
1: In my opinion, the process has always been more easier to go through with Fannie, just because kind of it depends on who you work with. I mean, there's a lot of Fannie Mae lenders out there that are delegated, delegated underwriting and servicing lenders, dust lenders. Where the process is a lot more streamlined, where you don't have to go up to Fannie Mae for approval on a lot of loans, so it's more of just like an internal in-house decision of that servicer to approve a deal, and it's just a smoother process to go through. So my opinion would be would be Fannie. I mean, obviously, if you're looking for something that that has a softer step down and shorter term, you're probably better going off with Freddie. But uh, if you're more open to to term options, then usually Fannie is going to be the the less painful one.
0: Yeah. And if you want a 30 year fixed rate loan, you want to go Fannie. Yeah. But as I understand it, or, or, or for, from my experience, at least is that Freddie kind of micromanages their deals. Like nobody's like on these Freddie small loans, these lenders aren't making decisions. They're pretty much pushing everything to Freddie and Freddie's making the decisions and sending the decisions back. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, dust lenders have some more autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned something before, I, I, I'm just curious. Genuine curiosity, right? Because I haven't seen any of these recently, but you were talking about student and senior programs for Fannie and Freddie Small. And I wonder in any environment, I mean, we've done small loans before, but like, especially now, is there a possibility with with agency to do a million dollar student housing loan or a million dollar assisted living loan?
1: I mean, student housing right now in today's market is is extremely difficult to get done, nearly impossible, just because obviously there's not a lot of schools across the country that are reopened yet. They're only doing student deals for very strong, experienced borrowers that have thousands of units, strong net worth, strong liquidity. So it's it's not impossible, but it's it has to be the right deal. And kind of the same thing with the uh, assisted living type deals and military concentration deals even whereas you're better off sticking with like a small loan program if the concentration is not there.
0: How are deals pricing right now? Fannie and Freddie small. And I know it's a range, but I mean, you Mm -hmm. you just throw a range at it, but what does pricing look like these days?
1: Yeah. For for small balance deals, ballpark mid threes for most of the stuff that we're, we're pricing out. I mean, for deals above 6 million, you have the opportunity to go through the dust program or through the Freddie conventional program where really strong deals might see pricing and even the high twos,
0: which is pretty crazy. How about that FHA 223F debt? How about that? How's that (laughs) pricing?
1: Mid twos, mid twos, low twos on, on larger deals.
0: Crazy wild. I find that unbelievable. So what kind of stuff do you see where you got a client and you're like going through the conversation with them and you're like, Oh man, this is a great deal. And then right before application or God forbid after application, like you look under the hood and you're like, oh, shit, this is like, this deal's dead. What are some of those deal killers, uh, those surprise deal killers that that people miss?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we we try to go through as much as we can to mitigate any risk after signing an application. Uh, so in, forgive us if there's a lot of back and forth and questions. We're kind of just doing that to save you money and save you time of going through the hassle. But some of the things that have popped up recently for us, I mean, micro units Typically, micro units are a non-starter. Uh, micro units being stuff under 250 or even 350 square feet, depending on which program you go with. So it's more common in in, in top markets where you have studio apartments. Tenant concentration, like I was saying earlier, for example, if you have like a, a a property that's next to a base, military base, where the military concentration is about 40%, that would have to go through the military concentration dust program. So right now, they're actually not not focusing on any of those types of loans. So Any type of concentration like that can really complicate the deal. And if possible, obviously we'll we'll pivot to another program. Short-term rentals, Fannie Freddie do not allow for any Airbnb, VRBO type properties. They do want to see long-term leases in place, long-term leases being of at least six months. And if there are tenants on the property that are month to month now, that's fine as long as they were originally set up on a a long-term lease. High economic vacancy. I mean, more often than not, you see properties that are ninety-five, one hundred percent occupancy, but are only collecting 85 percent of rents. So, kind of have to wonder. I mean, how many tenants are, are are behind on their on their rent?
0: You're saying it's no good if I'm at one hundred percent occupancy, but nobody's paying the rent. You're saying that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't.
1: No, that's not a do. Unfortunately, no. not. Unfortunately, not. No, you have to see the income there. The income's not there. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> deferred maintenance so if they i mean if they go out to a property or they look it up on Google Maps and they see the roof is falling off and there's, there's cracked windows and it's it's not in good condition that's a red flag not only for the deal but one of the reports that we do is a, a PCNA which is a property condition assessment report and they would most likely require certain things to be repaired either prior to closing within the first 12 months or even i mean the overall condition of the property is going to affect the replacement reserve deposit which Fannie and Freddie both have so it could get pretty costly
0: and how about if there's a shooting down the street from the property just just <laughs> da- like a casual the yeah yeah a casual <laughs> domestic dispute across the street a couple bodies is that is that a deal killer down the street i don't know that's tough down the street might
1: be okay if it's in front of the property and they, they there's like a dead body on the property that's that's probably not okay
0: what if there's like a, like a like a like a robbery or something like that? Is that a deal killer for Fannie and Freddie?
1: It's not. It depends what the property owner has done to to mitigate the risk for any future events of that happening. Things like uh, maybe installing security cameras in the property or putting a gate up or putting locks might help that out. Usually, it's kind of like a, an internal credit decision, so it might vary based on which service you're working with. But as long as you just don't sit there and let it happen time and time again, I think it, it's probably something that is able to work around.
0: Talk to me about COVID reserves. I go to an agency lender and they're like, bam, you're approved for an 80% loan. It's a $10 million purchase. You've got an $8 million loan, but we need you to put up $11 million in reserve. I mean, (laughs) where is net effective leverage actually ending up? And when are people going to get their COVID reserve money back?
1: Yeah, so uh, Fannie Freddie requiring these reserves just in case there's any impact on the property from potential tenants not paying, and then obviously you're unable to, to pay your mortgage payment. So that's why they kind of have that in place. Obviously, we're getting to a point where it's, I mean, hopefully there's a vaccine soon. So they'll either diminish these reserves or they'll just go away with them entirely. But I think that'll probably be a few more quarters before that happens. Fannie, Freddie, the amounts are are different depending on the leverage, depending on the size of the loan. A good rule of thumb is that if you're looking at an 80% loan-to-value acquisition, the reserve amount with Freddie is 12 months of PNI payments. With Fannie, it is 18 months of PNI payments. Previously, they actually had the taxes and insurance and replacement reserves tossed in there, but they went away with that, so it's a little less painful. Reserves are returned back to you with Freddie after 12 months. That's assuming the property is still operating at the, uh, the application DSCR that they listed there. So if it was a 1.25 DSCR. That's what they're going to be looking for after that 12 month period. With Fannie Mae, they return back to you after nine months, so it's a little bit less of a holding period, but they're you're holding six more months, so it's, it's like it kind of balances out. But yeah, they return those back after nine months, assuming that the same same guidelines are in place for the DSCR.
0: I feel like at low leverage, everybody like all the lenders don't really give a shit if you're at 40 45 leverage. Are they are, are they holding back? Are they riding you for all the reserves? Yeah, so
1: Fannie, I mean, because as you go to a lower leverage point, you get a higher DSCR requirement. So if you have a fifty-five percent loan-to-value deal, they'll waive the reserves regardless. Yeah. Freddie is a little bit different because you can have a fifty a percent loan-to-value loan, but the DSCR is only one point two five on the property.
0: Yeah, because uh, you're in a top market, right? So the yeah, property is so, worth a lot more in a fifty-five percent loan. It has a, a lower debt service coverage ratio. That's
1: good yeah. Point. So even though, even though on Freddie might have like a super low leverage deal. They would also want to see a pretty high DSCR in order for those to get waived as well. So if you have a 50, 40, 50% loan to value loan, they're not going to waive the reserves if if your DSCR is barely cutting it for the loan amount.
0: So Brandon, I'm an experienced multifamily owner and operator. I've got 50 properties. I'm worth millions of Bitcoins, (laughs) all the Bitcoins. And I've done loans with with all the all the agency lenders, right? All all the ones that you've worked with, just just everybody. Should I do my next loan with you?
1: Definitely. Shoot us over some information, T12 rent roll on the property, financials on yourself and any partners. We'll put together some numbers. We have some some great relationships in the space. Obviously do a lot of volume so we're able to offer pretty attractive pricing and we also don't charge any origination fees as well.
0: Not to put you on the spot, but why would I go to you instead of walker and dunlop right i got a buddy at, wa- at walker and dunlop he's an originator we've done 50 deals together walker and dunlop's got a, a great brand great ceo this dude willie walker is a, is a good guy so why am i going to go to you instead of one of willie's boys
1: yeah so i mean if you reach out directly to a service obviously they're going to pitch you what they have in their product base so they're going to give you a Fannie or freddie loan whatever works best for them. So we have different products, obviously, that I mean, if a if Fannie or Freddie loan doesn't work out, we have other options we can look into. We have HUD, we have uh, conventional debt, we have uh, CMBS debt. So we have other different options we can look into that'll kind of work best for your situation.
0: Do you price a deal better than a lender direct deal? Always. Yeah, always. Yeah, I I think that that's the cool thing to point out, right? Like people don't get it. They're like, "Oh, I'm going straight to the bank." Mm -hmm. Like you're you're going straight to the lender, and not all lenders, not all situations. I don't want to talk shit, but you're going straight to the lender, and the lender is giving it straight to you because there's nobody in the middle. You don't know what they're what they're selling it for in the secondary market. They're charging a fee. They're doing this. They're pushing you into a product that's more profitable for them or, or, or that they're more incentivized to do. You might be best for a Freddie deal. They send you to a Fannie deal. You might be best for a HUD deal. They push you into Fannie or Freddie, and then they charge. So I think it's really interesting to point out that like, if you have a direct relationship with a lender, that's cool. Hire us and put us in touch with the lender for you, and the deal will be better from every perspective. Also, I think but I think it's really good to have somebody in, in the middle. So when you send everything to a lender, you might botch up your PL and they might, your T12, and they might look at it and squeeze proceeds tighter because they, they weren't looking for ways to make it better for you. Whereas if it comes through an intermediary, it doesn't have to be us, any excellent intermediary technology platform or something like that, but they could look and say, oh gosh, you know, does this RM include CapEx? Because you have to back the CapEx out. And what happens when you back the CapEx out? Your NOI goes up, your debt service coverage ratio goes up, your total cost basis goes up. These are things that you want to do. And that's just like a, like a basic ass example.
1: Yeah. So obviously we do a lot of these deals, so we know what to look for. So I mean, we'll, our our job is obviously to get you the best deal possible and make the process as easy as we possibly can. So.
0: All right. This has been a multifamily minute conversation with Blake Janover of Janover Ventures and Brandon Raminet, also of Janover Ventures. I hope you enjoyed it.